Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Turkey hunt's one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt. When I'm hunting turkeys, it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. It's, it's, it's thank, like, thank you for that. That's all I really wanted to do tonight. So thank you. I appreciate it. It's super dark, but where's a, a dude named Justin Grimes? He's on his honeymoon. They, yeah, like they made this part of the honeymoon trip, man, which is really flattering. So I'm, we're glad you're here. Um, when, I, when, I get, uh, when I give wedding and marriage advice, no one ever asks. But I do give it, and I always like to say, uh, read like I, it, it, you're not going to understand it until you do it. But read the works as you think about your married life. Your married life. Read the works of Cormac McCarthy, and look in there for the strict moral code that governs the world of Cormac McCarthy. Because you'll find that the people that he's most severe with are people who make a decision to do something, and then later try to live a life in which they hadn't made that decision. If you're just flat out evil, Cormac McCarthy doesn't hurt you. He hurts people who, who dabble in evilness. So bear that in mind. Um, but Bozeman, man, like, yeah, I heard everybody uh, yelling earlier from Montana. Like, I live in never, like, constant jealousy of Montana residents. Um, you know, 
I lived here a long time. It's like I miss it. I love it. I learned a thing from my two-year-old recently that when my two-year-old's jealous of something, he just destroys it. <laughs> so like if his sister draws a cool picture and everybody's like, oh, Rosemary, it's amazing. He just is like, no, nah, it ain't. <laughs> and um, so I kind of want now, like, I'd almost like Montana to go to shit because... <laughs> Like, the way more people move here to just go to shit. And then I wouldn't have to, like, come here and be so bummed out all the time. It's really heartbreaking for me to come here. They advertise Montana where I live in Seattle. They advertise Montana. So, like, when I'm driving around stuck in traffic jams, I got to look at dudes in Montana, billboards of dudes in Montana doing fun stuff. And it recently got better because for some reason they got a guy up there now paddle boarding. And, like, so I, I feel no jealousy. Like, I feel like it's... it's 15, 20 years ago, if, I, if you'd had a dude over your house and you live on a lake and you're like, hey man, you can take the kayak out, you can take the canoe out, bro. Um, you can take this surfboard, I could like duct tape a stick onto a paddle. <laughs> but it's like, it's like the works, of, it's like Harry Potter books where in a vacuum, you know, if you'd set humanity back and let it go again, uh, we wouldn't be paddle boarding. It's like... <laughs> Like, but, but if you set the clock back of humanity a million years and like let it go again, I would love to do that 10 times and see which things we stick with and which we don't. And I'm damn sure that like a, a person is going to see a horned animal walk by and he's like, I'm going to find a way to run a projectile through that thing's ribs like a couple inches behind its shoulder blade. It's like that again and again and again will emerge. But um, I don't mean to hack on paddleboard. It's just like seeing that sign really... Is, I just feel like it's not a legitimate pastime, man. Um, move, like, moving to Bozeman, though, or, or like, like, there's a long like, history of moving to Bozeman. And, and, um, and it's like, when I think about, oh, I should move back here, you know, you, your head's overwhelmed with all the things that could go right and the things that could go wrong. Uh, years ago, me and Matt here, we uh, went to check out 66 miles east of here, Basically, the highway uh, runs over a gravesite, 66 miles east of here. And it's like, they just, there's a bunch of bodies buried in a grave, and they piled some rocks on it. And later, like, the highway kind of runs right along. It's between the highway and the railroad. So every time you go by, you look and see this grave. And this guy, it was 350 years ago and 300 and or 150 years ago and 361 days, I think, ago. There's this guy who is in Illinois and his two daughters and his wife get carried off by pneumonia. And he's got one boy left. This guy's by the last name of Thomas. He's got a boy named Charlie. So the only thing he's got left, and he's got family in Bozeman. So in 1866, this dude packs up and he's going to move out to Bozeman, make the big jump. And he follows the, or he goes to St. Louis and follows the Oregon Trail. And like he's on the Oregon Trail going along in southern Wyoming along the Platte. And then he jumps off and he's going to go and follow the, the Bozeman Trail. And at that time, the Bozeman Trail jumped off the Platte and went up the east flank of the Bighorns and hooked around to the north of the Bighorns. So this guy is going along and he passes what, the, the, what will be in a few months after his passing, the Fetterman fight where 70-some soldiers get massacred by Sioux warriors. And he goes a little further and passes the Little Bighorn Battlefield, where in 10 years, 
A couple hundred soldiers will get massacred by Sioux and Cheyenne warriors. And he's traveling with Jim Bridger, and they, and they come across a grave site where uh, they just buried some other guys, and he's all bent out of shape. He's got a diary, and he writes about how the wolves had dug him up and tore their rib meat off him. And there's another grave site, and the wolves had tore their face off them. And he starts painting this like awful picture of moving to Bozeman. Eventually, a wagon breaks down, and he leaves Bridger behind. And this guy's a minister. And he's thinking to himself that I'm going to put my faith in, in God and travel without arms. Because now that we're west of the mouth of the Bighorn, we're in crow country and everyone knows you're safe in crow country. So he pushes on by himself and they get over, uh, like I said, 66 miles here, a little bit outside of Columbus. And it's him and his boy and a wagon driver named Joel Schultz. Uh, they get attacked. The next day they find the dad. He's got 13 arrows stuck in him. And he's scalped and he's parked by the rear tire of his wagon. His little boy's got three arrows and he's scalped by the front tire of the wagon. And Joel Schultz, the wagon driver, is down by the river. He's got a dozen arrows in him and he had two cutthroats, two cutthroat trouts that they found the next day. So he was one trout over his bag limit. And I always return, like approaching, I always like pass that gravesite when approaching this area, and I always think of that. But then, like, if you juxtapose that with my brother Matt. Wasn't there a bit in there where the son has a um, diary? And the it dad says, has a diary. The dad has a diary, and in there it says something like, Yeah, Jim Bridger told me not to go this way, but he's, he's full of shit, or something like that. <laughs> That, that's rumored. He had a diary. When he crossed Bridger Creek, he wrote in his diary that we lost our coffee pot. The, the crazy thing is the last thing Thomas wrote in his diary, the night before he died, he wrote in his diary, we broke our champagne bottle. People have always wondered if it meant that he was so close to Bozeman that we were celebrating prematurely. Or that like losing his coffee pot when he crossed Bridger Creek, he busted the champagne bottle. So there's like that version of moving to Bozeman, which sticks in my mind. But then you have like Matt. Matt moves to Bozeman, earns himself a PhD. He points out that it was his second one because he already had a pretty huge... And then... Still do. Then marries, marries a girl of the ranch. So there's that version of moving to Bozeman. Um... I think about that. I do think about this all the time. So with that preamble, we're going to roll through some vexing questions. And many of these questions have come from folks in the audience tonight. Some of them are going to be on the easy end of things, such as a guy was wondering, were you to encounter a, he calls it a legitimate Sasquatch? Were you to encounter a, legit, Sasquatch a legitimate DNA. Sasquatch? Like not, you know... Not debatable. The fuzzy no. one. Wait, wait, not like an out-of-focus Sasquatch, but a legitimate Sasquatch. And uh, the comedian Mitch Hedberg, he, he postulates that Sasquatch, Bigfoot, is just blurry. And <laughs> you can't get a good picture of him. But if you're going to do it, he's like, would you... He's kind of like a, a timber buck. Yes. Would you take a crack... Like, 
he, he adds to it. He adds some, the question, the guy with the question adds some color to it where he's like, you know, no one's going to believe you. So here you are in this situation where you're just going to be the, come the laughing stock. Would you kill Bigfoot? Are you asking? Are you looking at me? Yeah, no, no. I, want to know. I don't have an interesting answer to that question. There's no way I'm just going to shoot some two-legged thing that's walking around. Like, that's where I'm at on it. How do you know? How do, it's like, there's, yeah, there's no tag system. I would just like let it walk. I would, <laughs> I would let it walk. You're saying you'd let it walk for legal reasons. No, it's not like a reward punishment thing. It's just like, hey, I've never seen one of them before. Let's make it be dead. <laughs> yeah, if you're like, guys are going to African safaris. I, like, so that's what that looks like. Blam! <laughs> the folks that uh, mistake, or these, let's say you go on a hunt, right? You've never been in bear country ever. Yeah. And you go on a hunt in the Bitterroot Range, and the outfitter says, shoot any bear you see. And that hunter shoots a grizzly bear. I hate that. Like, yeah. You got to know what you're shooting at. So for that reason, no, I... Like, I have never seen that. I have no idea what it is. I'm not going to pull the trigger for the sake of... Yeah, prove the point. Yeah. You can't judge the trophy quality on it. <laughs> Having no, like, No established scoring Yeah, system. like... <laughs> yeah. It might change after I come out with my story, but I would just let it pass. And, you then, like, and then be one of those... No, you sons of bitches believe me. I'm going back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, but I would know. And I feel like I'm trustworthy enough where there'd be a, at least a small contingent of people that would trust me. And, and we would, it would regenerate, at least for another 50 years, it'd be a strong, you know, Bigfoot community. No, I would not. I would always think less of you. <laughs> I, would like, I, would always, I would always question your judgment. I would always think a little bit less of you. I, like, when I get into are there Bigfoot arguments, um, the thing that I found that I like to use, and I don't know if it's really that effective, is I bring up that... Is this an argument that serious people have anymore? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you ever like turn on cable television, man? They like build whole shows. Like I said. <laughs> no, I will indulge it for me because it's, it's interesting. It's a thing I try out when arguing with people about the plausibility of Bigfoot. Is like I, I like to go to when Florida was down to forty some panthers. That multiple panthers every year getting hit on the road. And look at all their like really limited populations of animals, and then how many of them turn up dead on the road. And then to bring up the idea that, that the entire history of automobile travel, we haven't hit one yet. <laughs> like that, it's just like if, if you got six of something, one of them's gonna get hit by a car, and all other populations of animals, you know? Well, maybe they're just super smart. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be. Okay, here's another one that came in. This is, this is like, a, I actually want to kind of hire this guy. There's a guy named Luke Ryan, who I want to hire as like a resident company philosopher. Luke Ryan has this. He, he's got a lot of things that he comes up with, and this is one he comes up with. Are you, have you guys been tracking about the Lone Star Tick? Okay, there's a tick, Lone Star Tick. It's, it's common in Texas. This tick bites you. And when it bites you, you... It's like when you get bit by uh, a tick and might carry a bacterial infection that gives you Lyme disease. This tick carries an infection that winds up, and this is legit, I went and read about this. It winds up, having, it winds up that you become allergic to red meat. 
you, it's an infection that carries with it a red meat allergy. You become allergic to red meat, you become allergic to dairy. So he's wondering, were this to happen to you, how would your relationship to hunting change? Like, would you keep hunting? I hate this question. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's like a question that comes up, but I just like this because it has like a spin on it. Like, like how wet are you, you know? Because he, he, like, he points out, you could go and uh, still hunt and feed it to your kids, food banks, but you can't eat it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I just, I would, I would take it out of it. I mean, they're just. That'd be it? That'd be, yeah. There's just, I, it would uh, lose its mystique at that point. So last year, my dad called up and he said, hey, would love it if you could get me an elk this year. So for the first time in a long, long time, I shot two elk last year. I, but yeah, I don't know if the desire, I wouldn't have the, you know, hungry hunter hunts best, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. What about you, Giannis? Well, he did add in that you could, you know, you would turn into the world's best waterfowler and upland game hunter, right? That's what I was going to say. I he would, I would. that in? Oh, yeah, no, he gets yeah. rich. No, yeah, he, uh, he thinks about this stuff. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. It's, that's just, a thing. it's just red meat yeah. from big and game dairy. animals? Red meat and dairy. You can still fish. You can still oh, hunt well, Cranes, more. geese, yeah. ducks. Those yeah. are pretty dark meat. But you meat. give up on all the big game. Yeah. I would definitely do it because I've often pointed out, it's like if it, wasn't for, if it didn't get food and it wasn't fun, if you drop either of those, things out, or either of those two things out, I'm done. Right? It ceases to be fun and it ceases to yield food. I'm paddleboarding. I'd probably have to. <laughs> well, Giannis, you and I were just talking the, you know, purely getting groceries. Yeah. You know, there's, I have spots where it's like, all right, didn't get anything. I don't call it hunting because I know for 100% certainty I'm going to be coming home with something. Yeah. Yeah. The grocery get. Yeah, it's total groceries. Yeah. And I wouldn't say, yeah, I, I don't chalk that up as like, yeah, super fun outing. It's like, boy, I'm going to go take an afternoon off and go get a whitetail doe. But it's fun. Yeah, there's still <laughs> some fun. Yeah, for sure. More fun than going to Albertsons. It'd be hard to hypoth- for me to hypothesize. I think I'd have to go through the process and you know, be at home, butcher it all up, wrap it all up, and then all of a sudden be later in the fall or that winter not eating it and then see how I felt about it. Oh, really? All right. How about this one? This is another Luke Ryan. Luke Ryan's wondering this. You're, okay. It's, it's, it's such a complicated two-part question. And then Yanni like sequestered some of the information that well, I can't Well, think about share. it from the cooking side of things. How many <laughs> times do you try to make some off-cut taste amazing? I feel like I would have a horrible gastrointestinal life for a long time. If You're I still got on the Lone Star tip. tip. Yeah, because I'd just keep trying. Oh, you just see when it wore off. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Well, so maybe much. if I do this. Hey, All right, so take I, 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 I thought about it. I worked for many an outfitter in Colorado, more than one. So you can say all that information. 
Okay. Yeah. Now I have permission to say something that I was earlier forbidden from saying. But I got it so worked out now that I don't need to say. It'd be this. A guy's wondering this. Luke Ryan puts this out there. You go on a guided trip. Okay. You go on a guided trip. And then you're thinking to yourself, uh, okay, now what I'm going to do is just come back and hunt this exact same spot now that I know what's up. So you book a trip, the guide takes you out. It's like, this is my great secret spot. And you do the thing, and the next year you're like, see you next year. <laughs> but as an equal, is that immoral? I say yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, like, so, so all the yeses go like, yeah, in the audience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the nose. I, I have to say yes. Because you came out of the guiding industry. Well, I don't think that's the real reason why. I think You're I, saying yes, immoral. Yes, immoral. I've okay. seen it firsthand. And yeah, I mean, it, it's no different than walking in on the last final of the year and I grab Stephen Ronella's final paper off the desk, scratch his name out, put my name in. You did all the work. You did all the studying. You filled out the test. I just put my name on it. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to weigh in. I say no. I say no. It, I say it's not immoral. Not immoral. No, you paid the guy. You know what he... You paid him to... That's true. That is a good point. Now, if it's your buddy and he takes you to your spot his spot that's an entirely different i think there's oh, a prostitution I analogy i don't even need to ask that question that is so immoral that i don't need to it's, ask yeah it's, it goes without saying yeah that a buddy you'd never do that to a buddy where's the difference you paid him i think i think you could come up with a prostitution analogy here <laughs> okay, so now okay just to provide a little context here there's a guy that wrecks, somehow he realizes where a place Giannis used to guide. Right. Can I talk about this? Yeah. And. No, I realized that all that, it? I realized that all the outfitters that I worked for all had a similar setup where we sort of drove through some private property, camped on private property, lodged on private property, and then went and hunted national forests. The three outfitters that I worked for, and again, people can just do as much research as they want, they all had a very similar setup. So to know exactly where this guy was talking about, you know, it'd be hard to figure out. You'd have to go hunt three different spots that are, you know, 100 square miles each and then go, oh, yeah, I know what we were talking about. But anyways, what's the, yeah. What's the difference? So he's got, got but I think what, what, how his question was. His question makes it less morally, it makes it more that, more that it's okay to do this. Yeah, because he wants a right. He wants that answer. No, he. Here's the deal. This is why I don't want to get into it. <laughs> He's got bodies because, working at this outfitter. Saul, so my okay. I'll I'll tell his question and then I'll I'll give my point. He's got buddies working at this outfitter that have obviously opened their mouths and talked about the setup of this location, right? So they've gotten this inside information. Now he's asking if it's morally okay to use that information to go behind these private ranches and basically go and hunt these spots that these guys are. So there's other ways to get in there that don't involve going through the private property. <laughs> totally. Yeah, okay. You can get in yeah. there. No, and what he's saying is so he's saying that his buddy screwed up and they lost their tight lipness. And they're like, well, where we're really killing these elk 
is on national forest above the ranch that we're based out of. So he says, I'll see you up there. Mm. They and say, then you take that as a transgression against your, the, the outfitter? Is that what you... Well, I think just the, uh, against your butt. Well, one, the, the guides messed up for, you know, flapping their gums. And then two, yeah, it's like, give them a little respect. If, if they told you about that spot, it's like where they're working. Don't go, don't go. How did our buddy say it the other week? Piss in the piss in the cathedral, yeah, or no? The batip, baptismal fountain. Piss in the baptismal font. Oh. Oh. Um. Right. So what if? I mean, look at all the things. If you're going with anybody, your buddy, outfitter, guide, whoever, if well, they can't blend them all together, I, I absolutely like think you can. Things together that like don't blend. The thing is, if you are going with somebody who has a wealth of knowledge about the area, about the animals, aren't you taking enough away without having to go to the exact spot? I'm learning so much when I go out with you. I'm like, this is the way Stephen Rinella hunts. I come away with that. Do I have to go in there and, you know, kick you out of your spot too? But here, no. Because here's the thing. He's making a claim of ownership. You're sort of making a claim of ownership that only takes away your right to access. So you're saying like, sure, anyone else is welcome to go here. The whole 360 million Americans are, are welcome to go here. But you can't because of how this piece of information came to you. Mm. So I think it winds up being like a little bit like you're sort of getting screwed out of a God-given right because, because of the way that a piece of information flowed. Right. It, yeah, it's yeah, a business yeah, yeah. Okay. Tra- it's a yeah. business transaction. You gave the guy money to, to take you to a hunting spot. I mean if if no, you if he, if the if the outfitter now. didn't want you to go in there, go in there, it should be part of the contract or something. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> no, 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 because it, it brings up the point of going into hunting spots that you've never been to with your buddy. And if you're the kind of guy that might follow up with a hunt of your own in that same spot, you might want to you know, bring that up to your buddy that's taking you into that spot. Well, if I ever hired an outfitter, it would be because I could go into the spot he showed me. <laughs> I've done that on family vacations. I've done that. We go down somewhere. It's hard to figure the fishing out. Yeah. I go out, like hire some dude with a ponga, go out and fish <laughs> for two hours, come back and be like, resume business. Like, at a, in, a, in a more... On the way back, you're like, hey, you know where I can rent a panga? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, I would feel bad. So I think sometimes I would just turn down being showed or even told about a spot and just go there and learn it on my own to have a clear conscience about it. With the, with the friend thing, though, final thought on this. With the friend thing, it's way different. And when a friend takes you somewhere and shows you something, you have an obligation. Oh, it's like, at that point, ask, it's like, yeah, it's like sleeping with his wife permission. at that point. And at some point, if he says, you know what, you just go ahead, that's you. Yeah. Then you'd have to later call back again and be like, well, my cousin, right, he's in town, he's, he'll probably never come back. I have anxiety going with dudes to places because I'm like, what if I really like it? Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to not go back? Yeah, what if it's full of elk? It's like I'd almost rather like not have to permanently scratch off yeah. an entire chunk of, of the earth and just like go find it on my own somehow. Hey, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And Policy Genius 
is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy, you know, that you get at work may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, when will I ever have time to do that? I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies, all right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, Pow! I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on, on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Moving on. (laughs) Joe March. Over your many years of hunting, what is the most common mistake you found yourself making over and over? I know exactly. I do too. Mine is that I'm putting the sneak on something. Like I've found something, I'm going to go get in on it. And the something being an animal. Um, getting in on it, I mean, I'm going to like, you know, stalk in on it. 
is that I uh, all of a sudden realize that I'm like crawling and going way around, and I also realize that I'm just in plain sight of the thing. Because like misreading, like like misreading of the late, like because you know you think like if I really was gonna do this right, I would go three miles that way, and you know, but I bet I could you know that little rise and that little low thing and that brush, and then you just sort of like you're going along, and the next thing you know you look and be like, oh, it's looking at me, it's just right there, but I somehow like misread all this stuff. That is like, it just happens again, again, again. So do you feel like you're misreading the landscape or are you just trying to take a shortcut? Shortcuts. Shortcutty, yeah. like shortcutty, shitty little shortcutty things. <laughs> it's a gimme. Yeah. That's yeah. a gimme. Being nonchalant. Yeah, mine's similar. Mine is that I think I've spooked it, but I haven't. Oh, so like I start be like being uncareful because that's gone and then I run right into it. Mm-hmm. Similar, I think just moving too fast, you know, you know, that's why I like going on a long hunt because I feel like it takes three or four days until I really start moving at the pace of the woods. And I feel like once I hit that pace, you know, then all of a sudden games just like doing this in front of me. But when you're just, when you're moving too fast and I'm looking at my toes instead of having my head up, you know, taking it all in, I feel like you just, I'm not seeing the game. Not in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. For the sake of being different, it's forgetting my long-handled spoon. <laughs> and get your knuckles full of freeze-dried That's and a camping mistake. It is... It will bother me the entire time I'm in the woods. <laughs> because I know better. Yeah. And you just say, and there you are with uh, teriyaki freeze, chicken on Freeze-dried cheese stuck to your knuckles. <laughs> um... Do you have any okay? Do you have anything profound to say about being alone in the wilderness? This is from a guy named Bob Dean, who should, if he's not, he should be in the sausage business. Bob Dean, <laughs> do you have anything profound to say about being alone in the wilderness? By yourself or in a small group, being completely responsible for your well-being without communication or support from your society. Society. Did I say that? Society. If if anybody gets anything, I'll. I, uh, it's gratifying to know it'll be me. <laughs> Since I'm alone, I hope just someone gets something. <laughs> Don't care who it is. Oh. But you're always with the llamas, so like in the morning, like you look at no, all, huh? you, yeah, you look at all of them. You're like, somebody's gonna get some today, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that, that that I've come to like about not come to think of, I've always liked about wilderness, and there are many of them, and and I didn't really think to articulate it this way till fairly recently. Um, I started riding my bike in Manhattan years ago and I, and I spent a couple of years well, about a year riding a bike regularly in Manhattan and I, and I realized that doing it um, that there was no room to have any other there's no room for any other thought okay so you're riding along and you can't be like man I should call my mom more often it's like you just can't 
you know, think about anything besides exactly what you're doing, because exactly what you're doing, it's so dangerous. You just described yoga class and how they set that up in the in But the, it's artificial. The That's why I don't like it when they try to do it to me in yoga, because I'm like, it takes a lot more than a bunch of us sitting around in comfortable clothes <laughs> trying to be the kind of people who aren't thinking about other stuff. I need to be like forced into the situation of not thinking about other stuff. And so when riding my bike, and like when I was doing a lot of bike riding in Manhattan, I was often thinking about, wow, it's really, like I don't get this feeling that often of not having any room for any other thought but exactly what I'm doing. And I realized that like in a lot of wilderness experiences, not when you're like laying in your bag at night, but just all the things that go into it, it winds up being like you're forced to, for sometimes days on end, to just like just be focused on this thing. Because there's so many, there's so many aspects to it and things to keep in mind that you, you do lose, you quickly lose sight of all the nagging things that are rolling around in the back of your head. I think I've talked about a fair bit is they did this study one time where they had people, they, they paired up people and put them in a gymnasium and had them throw a ball back and forth. So they break everybody up into pairs and each pair of people has to play catch. And there's a, there's an observer assigned to each pair and the observer is supposed to just count how many times the ball changes hands. So it's a gym full of people playing catch, and then there's people watching them play catch and count how many times the ball changes hands. And then in the middle of this, they have a guy in a gorilla suit walk through the gym. Later, they say, like, oh, how many times did the ball change hands? And you'll be like, it changed hands 33 times. Did you notice anything unusual while you were counting the ball change hands? Most people don't see the gorilla come through the room. And, like, those are people who are bad at being in the woods. Those are like... <laughs> Those are like bad wilderness people. And, um, and I think it's like that, that you have to just be aware of like what you know you need to be aware of, be aware of what you're, you're not really knowing you need to be aware of, but just like spatial awareness is nice. Last night at dinner, college town, a lot of pretty girls walking around. It's not because I don't care about what you're saying. I'm just being aware of what's yep. going on. And you are. Yeah. Yanni, wilderness? Um, I think it comes back to the, the, the thing I mentioned about moving slowly and, um, you know, just and, and getting to that point where you're just like, I think it's all the same thing that we're saying that all the other stuff gets out of the way and you're sort of just focused on just being there. And um, you get to just experience, I think, days or time or however you want to look at it slower than my regular day of getting up and just like jamming and going and cooking and then you know the office yoga and and yeah. back from yoga <laughs> <laughs> totally back again no um so yeah i just think that that's is good for me for my head my soul to just experience that slow pace yeah absolutely i've been on a few hunts where um you know the the, the it's been a number of things, clients, guides, where there's connectivity up on the mountain. Some, and now it's worse and worse with um, like the Iridium Go. There's ways to be connected to the outside world. Yeah. And I, I truly don't want any of that stuff on any hunts anymore because I've, I've noticed, um, I just example up in BC uh, last year or the year before, had this you know, awesome weasel encounter. You know, weasels up there checking you out and running up and looking at you and just kind of doing their very inquisitive, extremely entertaining thing. Yeah. Only person that noticed it. 
because the other two dudes were up on their phone. Because they'd got a signal on top of some mountain or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it takes you out of the out of the space. And I think more and more as connectivity becomes, I mean, almost a given in a lot of these areas, you'll always have it. Uh, we need those those spaces and, and times to disconnect. And, Check out. Yeah. I went to a lecture by a guy that had done solo long-distance canoe trips. And I, when I went to see him, he'd come off of just doing the whole shore of Lake Superior, which is months long. And he was talking about, he was saying like, you know when you're out in the woods for 10 days, how everything seems to um, be slowing down and becoming quieter for 10 days. He says, at six months, I haven't found the end of that. It's still, ha- it's still happening six months in, which gives you a sense of how wound up we could potentially be. Yeah. That he, hasn't unra- he hasn't unraveled the string at six months. So when you think you're all kicking ass at 10 days... Not even scratching no, the surface. You got, yeah. There's a tight coil, man. I remember when you and I would go, first moved out here and we'd go hunting for four or five days. I remember we'd come out and we'd be driving home and like 50 miles an hour would feel super fast. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. You miss the, 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 the pacing of things. What happened for me, though, that really changed the connectivity thing is after 9-11, because you used to go... Um, and didn't care, right? Because I didn't have family or anything. So you'd went and like, be like, I, I didn't care what was really going on. And then all of a sudden you get introduced to this thing that's like the, that you could have these like instantaneous cataclysmic events happen that you weren't aware of. And it took me a long time to be comfortable, totally unconnected for a long time because in my mind that happened. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, you're like, because you, normally you'd be like, well, what could happen? What could possibly happen? Then all of a sudden you introduce this idea that like, oh, like a, a thing could happen and it nags you that you're out of the loop. We went, remember we went hunting in the breaks and it was, it was in that yep. period, at the beginning of that period when the, when the Bush-Gore election, it, like it, there was a, it wasn't clear who had won it. And uh, We put off the trip for the election night. Then... We're like, okay, I guess we're just going to have to go and not know. We're yeah, gone for right, days. We thought it was gonna be like, like, so who's president? Yeah. You're like, they still don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was going to be a, like a, just a couple-hour delay. It turned into a, what was it, event ultimately? I don't remember a, how long. Days. Month? I want to give you a flip side to this, though. Because something I think about quite often now is, is when I was working in the woods um, you know, for the majority of my year, and I was, you know, in large part because of wanting to be, I was disconnected from the outside world. I, I was, had very little, few thoughts running through my head, or at least looking back on it, I feel that way. Now, I feel like I get cluttered because I know, like the, the public lands access issue is, is something that, you know, I'm constantly thinking about now. And when I go into the woods, I'm staring around being like, oh my God, are we really going to screw this up? Whereas back before when I was spending way more time in the woods, I never thought about any of that stuff because I just truly didn't even think about being connected to it. Yeah, you weren't a global citizen, you were a woods man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
this guy was this guy's picking up on something. The Cody Bomber, he was picking on some, up and I said sometime where I was talking about how I know a lot of people who are a lot better at hunting than me. And um, he's like, what's the difference between yourself and the people who are better at it? And I know, Matt, you think a lot about Kent Unland being a real good hunter. Oh, yeah, the best. Who's not with us tonight. No, and there's a couple other guys in Miles City. And frankly, I don't know. If I knew, I'd just start doing what that is. Yeah. You know? I think, yeah, for me, I think it's like when I look at the people, I think that the thing that we do to measure like good huntingness would be that how much is someone able to do, a lot of times we're looking at how much is someone able to do something again and again and again and again. So it'll be like, oh, he killed, you know, in 20 years, he's killed 20 bulls with his bow. So that person would, would develop a certain renown, right? Just yeah, like, especially when he goes out and does it in like three days. Yeah, so there's like, and I'm again out there and again all and again. fall, burning all my vacation time. And, and I find that like, and I find that like, just because of the, the, the details of my life, I do, a, I do many, many kinds of things. And so I have this like good cursory knowledge of tons of shit, but don't focus in on like the thing. And when I do, when I look at like a really great hunter, I'm looking at someone who can just like do the impossible all the time. Yeah. Like some guy like, you know, hunting in the Midwest on public land with a bow, killing nice bucks every year, right? No farm permissions. I'm like, that to me is like the, he's doing the impossible. Right. Oh, it's, it's easy to define who the, who the, you know, good hunter is. It's much more difficult to say how he got to be that way. Yeah. And I, but I think that like, when I think of the guys that are so much better than me, I think it's like people who have picked a thing that's difficult and just somehow focused and became like singular in their pursuit. Winds up being the guys I look at, I'm like, that's amazing. It's not so much that someone is like jumps around and hunts every state and hunts all around the world and does all these things once. It's like the, it's the, the, the person with the laser focus. Yeah. But not the laser sight. <laughs> Define the good hunter. Steve just, for me, did. Like somebody that has like something that's hard to do. Um, like killing an elk on public lands every year in Montana. I think of that with a bow. Even with a rifle. But uh, I think of that as... Um, but you've achieved that. Yeah, good. Not with a bow. Oh, no. um, Generally, though. Okay, More With, without time. using all your vacation time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, Matt will go. You one time went and did 21 days. I routinely go 20 days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some time card fudging that goes into it. <laughs> Good on you for getting no to hunt 20 days. Oh, I, like the guys that are better than you, what do they do? Like what makes them better than you? Oh, I, I mean, a ton of stuff. I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm very good at any of it. I feel like I'm still, <laughs> I'm still here. I look up to many, many people. So yeah. I'm just... Just need more days in the woods. To hone your skills. I mean, I don't think that's it for me. I think there's something that you differentiate, differentiates. Like, Kent Unlin was an excellent hunter 15 years ago. 
you know? So like, I've got way more time in the woods now than Kent did 15 years ago. Yeah, you get more time in one trip than he does. Yeah, he doesn't, yeah. Need, to he doesn't need to go out very long. You think there There's might be like a little bit of like a thing. Sixth, sixth sense, something, a little, just a little drop of something that some hunters have and some don't? Yeah, maybe he doesn't smell. I don't know. <laughs> There's actually something to that, man. Smelly people, I am not a smelly bear, people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dirt meth. I mean, if we're going to say it. Yes. Right? I mean, love dirt the guy, but that's be, a yeah, powerful yeah. musk. He has got a, he, he's got a commanding presence. Um, is there a way to stop hunting with someone but still be friends? <laughs> he, says, he says, or is it like, uh, or he says, also, it sounds like the hunting equivalent of that girl or guy in a relationship that doesn't want to date but still wants to be friends. Can you have a hunting buddy that you're just like, it just, I, I can't. And I've had this happen in my life. I know you've had it happen in mm -hmm. your life where you're yeah. just like, I can't hunt with that guy anymore. Can you still like be buddies? Something changes, it becomes hard to be friends. Right. But I've we done it. We call it being OTC'd. Out of the club. Out of the club. And... It's hard to find, to still be friends, you know, when you've pulled out the, the love making. <laughs> Cal, no experiences? Oh, man, I think, boy, yeah, I'm sure I'm missing a few, but they've, they've kind of naturally went their own way. Yeah. Yeah. It happens, man. They don't like they don't like the style. They don't. Their idea of hunting was a lot different. Um, those those types. You know, it's more me. I'm sure it's me. No, I think that like that hunt, tell them? hunting together. Well, no, hunting together creates like really tight, close friendships. Yeah, it creates really tight, close relationships, and it winds up it's just different. Like if you spend a handful of trips with someone, it's just it's just you're just different with them. You get to a place you don't get to hanging out, like drinking a beer. And, and so, yeah, the later be like, man, I don't want, like, like, I don't want to go out in the woods with you anymore and be with you out in the woods anymore because of whatever it is about you. You can't, you can't be like, but let's go get a beer. Yeah. Remember that one time we went hunting together? That was fun. And then I got sick of you? <laughs> I have, I mean, I have buddies that I'll go hunt with and not pack a rifle because that's the only way it, you know, it's like, yeah, love spending time with you guys. Let's go out and I'll spot some stuff or call some stuff, but. But you're not going to hunt with them. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So with regard to technology, where do you draw the line? And what this guy's getting at recently is there's uh, uh, knocks now, okay, some guy recently came out with a knock that you put in your arrow that has a tracking device in it. So you can stick something and, and track it using GPS technology. So he's talking about knocks, um, and he talks about trail cameras. At what point is like, at what point does Fair Chase not exist anymore? And I think he's looking for, he, he's looking for an answer. Um, I think it, uh, Justin Bros, bro, Justin Bros <laughs> is looking for like a, a, a concrete thing that you just won't do. Like a demarcation criteria. Yeah, he wants it clean. He wants it neat. It can't, you can't do that because it's a nuanced thing. 
like having a knock that tells you where your gut shot deer went, that just seems like better living through technology. Now this game camera thing, you can see where that could, that's treading on some uh, thin well, I want to talk ice. about the knock, and I think it's tied into this what makes a good hunter thing. I would argue that the more you lean on technology, the fewer skills you actually develop. Like I'd be like, ah, oh, just gonna gut shoot it because I got these knocks. <laughs> Bullshit. No one's, yeah, no one's gonna do that. <laughs> no, but he's saying because you don't bad. have to then track the gut shot deer and find it without the tracking technology that you then don't possess those skills. Okay, but if you get a pass through, if you get a pass through, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do the arrows. Good. Just gonna yeah. show you where you shot. Right, but let's. But it's much more fun to talk about these sorts of matters. Pretending that it's going to work good, okay, because then it allows you okay. to explore the ethical. It's the same thing with the lighted knock, right? Like lighted knocks, you know, legal like this the, year the, the in Montana. Evil brother of the lighted knock, right? Or the friendly brother of the lighted knock. Yeah. When it when it passes through, it puts out little arms and stays inside. Yes, you know, that. something like that. I mean, I don't even like reading books about hunting because I feel like I'm going to grab some chunk of knowledge that I haven't actually learned yet yeah. and just assume it and that's going to hurt me in the long run. So when it comes to the technology thing, like yeah, I have a GPS, but I have a map that I use way 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 more. But okay. yeah. But here's 5000 years ago, people on this continent were not using bows. Correct. Or five to seven. They were using the atlatls. Okay? The bow and arrow was invented a bunch of different times around Earth. So at some point in time, it went from being that you were using a spear throwing, well, you were using a hand thrown spear, and then you're using a throwing board to get a better spear throw. And then all of a sudden, some dude comes rolling over the mountain who's got a bow. You're like, that's cool as shit, right? Yes. So he starts using that. And then you fast forward and you have muskets, and then some guy starts decides to cut a spiral groove inside of a musket barrel and make a rifle. And the people that you were using that, like Daniel Boone hunted with, he had a rifled barrel. He went into the woods thinking that he was using a technologically advanced tool that was leaps and bounds ahead of what was available to his father. I get it's, it's, what you're doing, it's, it's, but it's yeah, wrong. You get what I'm doing. But it's like, it's just, it winds up being a march. And I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute here. Because there are some people who, in dealing with fair, there's some like, like hunting philosopher types, who in dealing with fair chase, think that we just need to abandon that idea. And focus on what they think we should focus on, is the idea of, of fair use. Meaning, we're dealing with a finite resource. We're going to need to figure out not enforcing and making ethics legal or like this is fair, not fair. He's like, how much pie is there to divide up? And then we're going to need to limit our technologies, not based on it being fair or right or nice, but we're going to need to limit our technologies to allow the maximum pool of individuals a chance to get a piece of the pie. And it winds up being like a you're talking about the same thing, but you're approaching it in a way that I think is like, it, it just almost winds up being easier to think about. So if you're going to have technologies that are going to drive efficacy through the roof, so it used to be that our, like 
bow and arrow, like in this state, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that archery success rates on elk had always hovered somewhere between 10 and 20%. So you could give out that many more tags, okay? For every elk, like for every elk killed, you could go out and give out five tags and give that many people opportunity to go and be the, figure out who's going to be the one that gets the one elk. Once technology pushes where our efficacy rates are going to go so high, where we push it to 80%, you're then going to say, okay, most of you people are no longer able to go into the woods because we have a limited pool of resources here. Fair use. I would say that you are then also going to have a very limited amount of people who even want to go into the woods because part of, okay, access, recruitment, that's like the biggest issue that we're facing right now. And, and I use this analogy, like the stock, and it's good for out, out here, right? Everybody's got a rancher buddy or a friend who's got a rancher buddy who's got the stocked pond yeah. out on their place. And it's like, yeah, I want to go fish that stock pond. I want to go fish that stock pond. And eventually you get to go out. First cast, you catch a fish. Second cast, you catch a fish. Third cast, fourth. Eventually you're like, well, I know I can catch a fish out here. Very rarely do you ever return to that stock pond. Yes. Because there's no mystery. Like, yeah. But here's the thing. I'm driving at a lot of what you're driving at. Where he, we're saying limiting technologies. If, if we're, and we're going to have to. We're going to have to. We're going to have to continue to. Because we already limit technologies. You can't jacklight. Okay. Or you can for something. Jacklight frogs. You can't jacklight deer. You can't use a. You can't use artificial light to find a deer. We're already in the practice of limiting technologies. What these people are saying. We talk about the fair use idea rather than fair chase or ethics, are saying, yes, we're going to limit technologies, but we're not going to frame the discussion around telling you what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. We're going to limit it to be that we're going to be able to have the maximum number of potential, the maximum number of people having potential to extract a resource. To maintain the best numbers, we're going to limit efficacy. To limit efficacy, we're going to start ruling out technologies. We're not dictating what's right and fair and good. We're just dictating, like, how can we maintain maximum engagement with a limited resource? So they're getting at what you're getting, but they're not trying to, like, they're just trying to, like, discuss it in a way that doesn't make it seem moral. That doesn't make you have to pick between right and wrong. Yeah, I got you. I'm a fair user, I would say, then. You're a fair user. I find myself being in that way because it is. It's like... I, do all, I, I have all kinds of things I do that weren't available before. And if your only measure of morality is, was it available before? Well, the whole damn thing. Boots. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It gets really tricky. But it's like, you know, obviously, terminal tackle's a heck of a lot easier, more efficient in most cases than fly fishing. I like to fly fish. Okay. It's a fun thing to do. Some people say it limits you. I say that. Yeah, you do, often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's got to be some, you know, I, I find like anybody going into any sport, any activity, they're never going to be more passionate about it than when they're learning. And if we inject all this stuff that makes it easier and easier and easier, you know, I'm like, when are we going to get to the point where it's like, ah, I can kill a deer off my couch in front of my computer? Yeah. Right, And then we're just not going to have people that want to go out in the woods. 
But we're the only, like, we're the only, like, like, hunters are the only type of people, fishermen too, who really are, like, screwed up about this stuff. In sports, they're always, like, making rules in sports, and people don't, they don't turn it into this big, like, what's right and wrong and a big moral dilemma. It's just, like, we agree that for our game to kind of, like, be the way our game is, you, you can't use that shit. Right? And everybody's, like, like there's not, like, all this hand-wringing. Yes. You know? Yanni, you got couple little girls coming up and they're popping some rabbits around the house not quite yet <laughs> not quite yet no they talk about it a lot okay um, sometimes the disdain of their mother their mother has a little cringe on their face when they see a bunny rabbit go by and they go papa bunny rabbit let's kill it <laughs> he's like ah um but yeah not quite yet but go ahead but i mean you want to you want to bring them up uh the way you were brought up with that technology or you know i don't don't really care as long as they're in the woods you know and and enjoying it so yeah Uh, but i'm we've been not gonna engage in the hand ring no we've talked about the fair use thing before and i I think it makes a lot of sense it does i've never heard that argument before but um, that sounds reasonable and i think you're just gonna get more people you know the of, of different mindsets to sort of converge and be like yeah we can all agree upon that because we all want opportunity. We all want to hunt every year. And for me to hunt every year, and everybody else that wants to hunt every year, we're going to have to limit how we do it and, and our success rates. Okay. How do you cope with the brutality? This is from a guy named Dave Smith, who would be hard to look up on Facebook with that name. <laughs> Dave Smith says, how do you cope with the brutality of Mother Nature and its food chain? I find the wolves and bears to be bullies of the animal world as they strive to kill the young and helpless. Maybe I'm becoming too soft for the sport, or I'm not even going to read it because I don't want to be associated with that kind of thinking. Um, maybe I'm becoming too soft for the sport. Wondering if anyone else feels the same and becomes upset because you're unable to help a young animal live another day. Would you rather see the yearling become a good age rather than a bear or wolf pull it away and shred it to pieces while it remains breathing? He really like is just, just, yeah. just very visceral. Selling you, yeah. Out. yeah. If you he's say yes to that, he's you're just leading an you where he wants you to go. Mercilessly <laughs> ripping it while it screams in agony. Uh, I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about that? <laughs> O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. 
is dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You know, I, I always, when I see a predator prey interaction, I am damn sure always rooting for the predator. Oh, I'm always rooting for the prey. Like when you watch, like. You're rooting uh, for the prey? Yeah, like when you in watch real stuff. Life or on TV? On TV, like if you're watching, like in your motel room, like, uh, you know, a cheetah going after a baby gazelle or something. I'm definitely rooting for the gazelle. No, you're, but I think you're, you're in the minority. No, he's not in real life. <laughs> a break, okay. I, I'll remember this. I'll remember this the day I die. We were, do you remember when we took the writer Ian Frazier on his first deer hunt? Okay. Again, we talked about the breaks earlier. We were in the Missouri breaks. We're in that area with all the white cliffs. And it's called the White Cliffs area. It is? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all that. We're in the White Cliffs area. With Ian Frazier, who is full of, he's very nervous about what he knows is bound to happen on this hunt. That, that blood could very well be shed by his hands. And I remember we're floating along, and pigeons, which are called rock doves, where they're from, where they're native, you know, their native range in Eurasia, there's a bunch of pigeons nested up in the cracks in the white cliffs and there's a red-tailed hawk no oh, i would be rooting for the hawk yeah, yeah. working 
working the area over the cliffs. And the pigeons were real nervous about getting out too far from the cliffs. And I remember, and the re- I, I, this was well over a decade ago. This was in 2000, 17 years ago. I remember exactly what you said. And I remember the look on his face. Because you said, man, I hope that thing comes down and bitch slaps one of those pigeons. And, I remember, <laughs> and it was like, it was like an epiphany. It was like a thing went off in Ian Fraser's mind of being like, like a sudden awareness of a way that one could view nature. <laughs> and I think it like changed him forever. Like the look on his face, and it was like a kind of a laugh, kind of a revelation. It was kind of like someone saying, if someone came down and said to you, like, you know what? Uh, you know, when you die, that really is the end. You'd be like, ah, oh, jeez. You know? <laughs> really? Yeah. So I know you, Rue. In well, that case. You're right. It's, apparently it's case specific because, <laughs> yeah. I, there's nothing sadder. I, you know, it's like, it's weird to, as a hunter to say things like this and realize that you think things like this. But to me, there's nothing sadder than an offspring being separated from its mom. I know that plagues you a lot. <laughs> offspring being separated from their moms. <laughs> it is sad. I don't know why it makes me laugh. <laughs> it just makes you so uncomfortable. I, I know, laughing. but it's just true, man. Yanni, you prey man, predator man? When I'm watching BBC... No, the- <laughs> why do you guys keep talking about television? <laughs> It's like you guys because spend an enormous amount of time outside. Yeah, but how many times, how often do you actually see something kill something yeah, else? exactly. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Are you rooting for it to happen or not? When I'm watching, no matter what I'm watching, I'm always like, I'm watching. If I'm watching a bear, I'm like always hopeful that all of a sudden he's just going to rampage into something and tear it to pieces. Can I read between? Like, I just can, like, I'm like always hoping it happens. If I'm watching an antelope, I'm like in the best case this, scenario. On the question for a minute. You want to this, read what he actually wrote? No, 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 no. I just want to read between the lines. I think he's an anti-predator think, guy. Don't you think that he's saying we ought to get rid of all the wolves? And yes, stuff is basically? he's an ant. I believe that he might. And I can say Ooh. this, Dave Smith, because who in the world is going to find Dave Smith? <laughs> I think Dave Smith might be an anti-predator guy. Yeah, I mean, and that's where. He, and he's like, I'm an anti-predator guy. I don't want to just come right out and say that. So I'll talk about the brutality with how with which they kill. Right. I'm not picking sides. I'm rooting for the interaction to happen, and I'm just like happy to sit there and watch and, and enjoy the observation. Whatever, whatever you know happens. Sometimes if you're watching one of them uh, documentaries, and the, <laughs> and the lion looks all scraggly and super hungry, then I start rooting for him. Good point. <laughs> Good point. I am with Giannis completely here. Like, every time I've seen something, big or small, I am just in awe of, you know, just by somehow some crazy set of circumstance being in that small area of the entire freaking planet that this is happening. And it just magically happens in front of me. Like, I can't get my head around from that to be like, you know, I'm team squirrel on this one. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just an amazing Yeah, no, thing, I'm with you. You're know? not, like, in a position to, yeah. No, that'd be like, root. hold on, you two. Can't we work this out? No. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah, and I mean, there are no bullies of the animal. Like, they're just doing what they do. Yeah, yeah I got you. This is kind of in the same vein. Someone says uh, they have a three-year-old daughter. No, three-year-old. I don't know if a boy or a girl. Um, he started exploring. Oh, it is a girl. He started exposing her to the concept and outcomes of hunting and fishing as a source of food. He says she helps, and he throws that in quotes, and I know exactly what those quotes mean. She helps me portion and package primal cuts of game, and again, she helps clean and flay fish. She knows that the food we eat is deer and fish and turkey, but I have not exposed her to the more gruesome tableau. I like this guy. To the more gruesome tableau of killing or skinning an animal for fear of painting her nightmares. Ah, this guy's good. Jonathan Ingram is really good. Read on. But I have not exposed her to the more gruesome tableau of killing or skinning an animal for fear of painting her nightmares. What are your thoughts on how best to expose our kids to these things without pushing them into the opposite polar extreme? Obviously, every kid is different, but general thoughts would be appreciated. Early um, and often. These guys have never bred a woman, which I've pointed out before. <laughs> so they're not like even kind of. Uh, I'm just going to turn slightly this way. But I can simulate it really right? good. <laughs> Success. It's never, successfully, Hall. never successfully bred. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to turn slightly toward Giannis. Uh, I get this a lot, and I think that there's a real, um, there's like a lot of trepidation with parents that I think maybe didn't exist before, where parents are really worried about exposing kids to violence. Yes. I, I, like the, I think that he really is getting at it. He doesn't want to ruin it later by overpushing now. But in addition to his concerns, I think there's a real concern where parents feel that, like, hunting is violent. It's a violent act. Can't get around it. Um, and limiting kids' exposure to violence. I think toward this idea that, like, uh, they're not going to become violent people. Like human, they're not going to pick up, like, human-on-human human violence. I've even encountered where I live people who think that their kids, like, seeing a firearm is somehow going to push them in that direction. Like that the only thing separating their kid from becoming a sociopath is that they haven't seen a gun yet. And I always like to think there's a little bit more holding my kids back on that end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of fear around this. What, like, what have you, as you've dealt with it with your daughters, and I know that they've seen a lot of the tableau. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think you can do a lot worse with just what's out there on television. Um, yeah, I guess television mostly and just general media for scaring your kids away from whatever it is you don't want them to be you know, scared of. You know, I mean, if, if he's talking about actually like painting nightmares, like I don't think that's going to come from cutting a chicken's head off or gutting a deer. But it will come from, um, you know, something like, my kids are, are seriously scared of, I don't even know the name of the movie. What's the one with the little um, uh, yellow characters? There's thousands of them. Minions. Minions, yeah. They watch that shit, and they are scared. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. It's, it's, there's stuff moving fast every direction. And when you're not used to that, there's a lot of violence 
for a kid's movie in there. And I think a lot more there than us at home. It's like slapsticky violence. Yeah, I think if you watch it with the critical, yeah, yeah. But still, again, stuff they're not used to because they just don't watch that kind of stuff at home, you know? Um, Can a non-breeder just interject quickly? (laughs) Please. So I think that that a lot of this is just innate in kids. Like some of them, I have friends whose kids, you can look at the kid and be like, that kid ain't going to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got people, on the, uh, kids on the other end of the extreme, we're just at the cabin, and you know that Matt, our good friend Matt Drost and his daughter was there, his 11-year-old daughter. She, we catch an octopus in one of the crab, in one of the shrimp pots, and she's playing with this thing. It's stickers are hanging off and crawling off, and she plays with it for a half hour and then just takes a knife and cuts it down. Yeah. <laughs> she lives with the reality. She but she was brought up with that, though, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, because yeah, they, re- they raised chickens. are trying to make their non-hunting kids into, hunt, into yeah. hunters. And, and they're think, exposing them to all of it, but it's just not catching on. Sure. You know, you know there's two interesting things uh, that I think, like, we're always, like, tripped up that we're in this, that, like, now as a society we've arrived at these things that other people weren't dealing with. But Francis, there, there's a historian... In the, the 19th century historian Francis Parkman, and Francis Parkman wrote at the time like the, the definitive history of the French and Indian War, and he was asthmatic and was sent by his doctors like, you need to go out west. So in 1846, he comes out west and visits the Black Hills of South Dakota in 1846, and now it's believed that Francis Parkman was probably in the same Oglala Sioux camp that Crazy Horse was probably 13 or 14 years old, and that he was traveling with Crazy Horse. And he would describe how joyfully the Sioux children would torment everything that they found that was alive with toy bows. Mm. Just, it was just like, if it moved, you went after it with your toy bow. And he took it to be that it was just like a training thing. And there's a documentary... It's about first contact groups in South, first contact groups in the Brazilian rainforest and the kids in those communities, you are brought up to bring stuff home and jab it and jab every little thing you can find. And so I think now, like when we look at now, if I look at my kid, my kid's like, he's very aware of hunting, really interested in hunting. I mean, all three of them are, but the oldest one's more, he just puts a lot more together because he's older. Um, he has this thing now where he's like, he knows we hunt. He's done some hunting. He's hunted small game. He sees it. He wants to get it. And you might be like, oh, you know, we've created this demon. Well, I don't know. Like, are you criticizing all those, like, all, all those other cultures who cultivated that in children? Like, you're going to learn a skill set. You're going to learn a skill set this way. You know, like, as much as we would disapprove of it now, what did we do when we were kids? Oh, we had that. The, what did we hunt? The, the mode of being a kid that you just described. Where, yeah, Dude, we chip, hunted chipmunks, chipmunks. If there's a lower chamber in hell for people that <laughs> wantonly kill <laughs> rodents. Were, it was just like, <laughs> it was like you wanted to hunt. And it's like all the other stuff that later gets piled on top of that, all the, all the ideas of, of, of use and ethics and all that stuff, at the time it was just not there. At the time it was like there's certain people who just want to engage in the activity and learn it. And that was how you learned it. Later you learn all the things that make it what it is. 
So I don't think it's necessarily like, I don't think it's, I don't view it as a thing I need to shield my children from. There are things that they, like, like you saw my boy, for whatever reason, you, he doesn't like to see sea cucumbers get harmed. Right. Same kid that'll go down to the ocean, collect all kinds of eels and little fish and put them in a bucket to suffocate overnight. <laughs> yes. And you're like, hey man, let's let those but go. Slug. They're going to die. And he's like, <laughs> but, but a seagull, or I'm sorry, a sea cucumber, he wept over the death of a sea cucumber. So, I don't know, I don't run around spending a ton of time like thinking that there's something wrong with what seems to be like really natural things about my kids. And I do put a ton of weight on what were my experiences and what are the experiences of the people that I love and associate with the most. And the people that I associate with the most and that I love the most grew up around catching fish, cutting them up and cleaning them, shooting squirrels, cutting up and cleaning them. And they turned into, like, despite all of it, turned into like the most stellar individuals that I've found on the face of the planet. So I'm just not going to now like buy into this idea that we need to question it all. Yeah. We took uh, some folks into the Frank Church wilderness a couple weeks ago, um, one of which was a pescatarian that had never killed her own fish. So he took care of that. And uh, another gal who had never caught or killed a fish. But can you explain that? So she was just eating fish, not eating red It was the only protein. Yeah, and, I, and this is, because I, I put out a big spread for the first night. The was, only animal protein. Yeah, only animal protein, yeah. And I, I took it to mean like, oh, you just don't like processed food. I was like, I got moose, I got all this, and it was sweet, but it was like, no, I can eat none of that. Uh, and that's where the last silver salmon of the year came in. But um, so... It was an amazing, amazing thing. And these gals are in their mid-30s, um, caught their first fish, killed their first fish with shaking hands, mm-hmm. coached them through cleaning these trout. And that, that was very tough. But I had them open up the stomach contents and look at stuff, and, and that actually made things better. By turning into a little bit more of a science project, so that might be a good tip for this fellow. But I have women are vicious. Okay, they are crazy. Like, Easy now. There is something in the brain that when they know they can provide, Matt, it I've seen it before, and on this trip was no different. Once these gals had caught, cleaned cooked on the campfire and eaten their own fish and actually shared the fish with others, there's no doubt in my mind they would have sat there and cleaned that lake out. Yeah. <laughs> like, to the point, hey, we've caught enough fish. Or you, you said, like, you basically said, you know, it is okay for there to be some brutality in your life. Yes. And it was if, this if, quick if connection. It's going like, to, like, providing for yourself. And it's food. Yeah. And oh, I can aid it, you know, the whole process. They're like, oh, out of the lake, into the fire, food. They would not have stopped. They were, had to be force, forcefully removed from the lake. <laughs> <laughs> I do a follow up because what I do worry about, I'd like to hear your take, 
is that I don't, because I don't worry about you know painting their nightmares with uh, deer gut, guts and blood, but I do worry about pushing it too hard. And then we have, I have a couple friends that have you know adult kids now that aren't really hunters. They uh-huh. hunt a few days a year, and because yeah. it got shoved down there. Yeah, they just were pushed too hard as youngsters, and so I do worry about that more, and really try to you know balance it out with you know dance class and um you know other things that little girls like and then we have hunting and fishing you know and it's, it, i try to really balance it and so and not jam it down their throat yeah i think about that and i know people say it and i've even said it before but i feel like um i, I kind of view it like w- with our kids i'm like they're either gonna be let's do this full balls or not you know and so i haven't really worried that much about being really careful about like, oh, you know, we're going to be on the water an hour and if you want to stay, I'm going to get you off because I don't want to burn you out. I, I just haven't thought about it. Like, I, I know people say it, but I've pushed them because I think a big thing that I want to expose them to through hunting and fishing is I want to expose them to ideas about uh, uh, like being comfortable being uncomfortable. Okay? So like getting used to the idea that when you're uncomfortable, you're still okay. That when you're bored, you're still okay. That these are things that, that, that lead to other things, right? That there's like, you, you pass through this and come out the other side and it's like more amazing than anything you could have imagined. So if I just went up and set it up that everything was like this like really easy time. Not another thing, you wanna make it like an always like a success or always an easy time, but you know, not hunt and fish, you know, 21 days in a row. Oh, yeah, no, I got what you're saying. Like, yeah. Okay, that you're only read hunting hunting stories at night, you know, throw out, you know, no more James and Giant Peach. We'll just read about the coon coon hunters. Yeah, no, no, I am sensitive to that. I thought you were saying something different. I am sensitive to that. Like, like I do really want well rounded. And and it's like in my setup, in my way, my life structure, I can't escape the well roundedness. I don't have, we're not like in a place and sort of in a professional space where we could just do that one thing all the time. I think like a thing we get a lot of that, that I've gotten a lot of uh, mileage out of is that hunting and fishing has really opened up a lot of conversations and gives you a template to discuss a lot of things that are otherwise very difficult to discuss. I remember we were cleaning perch with my boy. This is, he's seven now. He was four or five. We're cleaning perch and we're looking at no no we were flaying pink salmon. Sorry, we're looking at eggs like like sperm sacks and eggs. And I'm like, you know, uh, and he, and I was explaining, I'm like, she like, she lays them out on the rocks on the bottom of the river and he comes in and just sprays the milk or semen on those eggs and that's how it's fertilized. And it was like, it just took a second for him to think that that delivery mechanism would not work with human beings. And... I then I, I had like then I explained to him like the 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 difference right there's this other way of delivering the sperm more directly to the egg, and the next day he maybe you boy, can explain that to Ryan and me. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I keep I keep needing to change where I'm aiming, so I'm not gonna aim back this way. <laughs> so you got you got a packer. Uh, he um. <laughs> the next day, I the next day I overhear him. He's explained this to his nanny, and he says, "And my mom did that three times." 
<laughs> so it does, yeah, it just gives you, like, like I think about everything, man, like, sa- like you know, it's like the old, like, sex and death, right? Like, death, sex, violence, it just gets, gets you in the way of, it just, like, opens up all this way to have all these conversations, and that's just, like, based off, like, books you're reading, you're, like, looking at, like, actual real shit on the land or on the ground or in the water, and you're talking about, like, real things that have major implications, so if there is some added risk that you're going to raise a sociopath because you guys went and flayed a perch, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just don't think it's a real issue. I'm done. What was that? Somebody. Everybody that? tracking? <laughs> Does anybody have like a big, like a thing they need to add? Question? Everyone's tracking. Go ahead. What is the thing you got to add? What is each of your favorite animals to hunt? All-time favorite game animal. What are you looking at, Yanni? Oh, nothing really. Now I'm just thinking if you should give him hell or not for asking that question. Um. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I know what yours is. Well, it's a difficult question because there's like elk hunting, which is just not fun, but it's like what I do most of the time. But you recognize it just sucks. Yeah, it's a vision quest. It's not intended to be enjoyable. (laughs) But just pure enjoyment, like squirrels, probably. Yeah. Just as like having fun. Fun, yeah. Yeah. For me, it used to be like I, after having done it a handful of times, it was dull sheep. But now I think that like um, I really, I, I just really enjoy hunting mule deer because I like to spend a lot of time sitting up on a glass and tit just watching. Yeah. And it's like it's glass and yeah. Yeah, it's like pretty like there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunities in a lot of places. And I just like to I just I like those days where the day just passes and you just observe. And um and mule deer like really lends itself to that. You're kinda of like being most constructive. Sometimes you're being most constructive by just not doing anything. Just watching, watching, watching. So yeah, deer, muleys. Spotting it before your buddy. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. <laughs> uh, when I had dogs, I would have traded anything for bird hunting. Um, the yeah, I don't. I mean, I I truly enjoy it all. It, it's very very tough, but yeah, mule deer is is absolutely my most favorite thing in the world when I'm hunting mule deer. It's not like I'm ever thinking about being some other place. Uh, but I love calling things in. You know, ducks, geese, elk, deer, whatever. So uh, that's so not an answer. Everything. <laughs> like, yeah. Give me, uh, give me a lot of vacation time and I'll fill it. So. Bugling bulls, for sure. Really? Yeah. Bugling. That's real precise. I like that. You're welcome. Uh, what are your thoughts on hunting? Th- this guy has a lot of questions. I feel like he's got a little bit of an axe to grind. Justin Burden, maybe. I mean, not in a bad way. What are your thoughts on hunting, uh, he-, he points out, white-tailed deer in the preserve? So he's talking about like animals raised in a pen-raised environment. Like a high-wire deer hunt? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Like hunting fenced-up animals. For me, I'd... I'd- like I'd put it more on the grocery side of things than the hunting side of things. Yeah, it's it's called farming. 
like yeah i mean that's, that's like, the only problem i have with is the confusion they're creating between farming and hunting but yes. there's that there's the added level of then of the they are in like the action is very similar right you just like go and kill this farm race thing but then in post when it's consumed or talked about the farm animal remains the farm animal and is just eaten but the supposed hunted behind high fence animal sort of might have this that dude is a tool if he tries to talk, be like <laughs> yeah and there I was I knew there was a fence just a little ways down I mean, right, but that's what I'm saying is that it's, 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 it is the same but it's not the same so it might even be worse somehow it's like morally worse, worse than farming but you have farm animals on your property and I've gone out with you and shot them in the head with a 22 lambs. Right. It's just, for me, it's like there's no confusion between that Right, and we're talking about a situation here now that has all the trappings of hunting, but it's not hunting. So, but yeah, I, I don't get confused by it. There's a fence. But why do people, <laughs> why do people like, create the confusion? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, then you can blow this thing way up, right? And you talk about South Africa, and it's like, well, yeah, but it's 20,000 acres of fenced. Yeah. Right? But is that the, I mean, that's not really question, right? I don't know. No, like, there's an enormous gray area. I, I put it to Jim Poswitz, who's like a, like a kind of a hunting philosopher. I put the question about it to him, and I, and I was pointing it to him where I was saying, like, no one would say that you're bad if you raise sheep in a pen and shoot sheep and eat them there's nothing like there's no ethical that's nothing ethically wrong that's just how we get meat it's like farming right ethically a-okay but why do when a guy raises up a deer puts camouflage clothes on goes through some of the sort of like some of the goes adopts many of the trappings of hunting shoots the pen deer and then positions it as being that he hunted it like, why does that feel wrong? Like, why does that feel wrong? Well, I don't think it's wrong. I don't think any of it is unethical. It's all the, the first part of it, that's all his own business. And then the last part where, he's, where he acts like he hunted it, that's just annoying. Yeah. I don't think of it as an ethical issue. Yeah, not a, yeah not a, but, but he had a really interesting point about the business. Poswitz had an interesting point about the business of selling wild animals. So where you take wild animals, raise them in a captive environment, and then sell hunts for those wild animals. What he doesn't like about it, and he's not, he doesn't pass a moral judgment. He says there's many ways to get meat, okay? But what he doesn't like about it, and he, and he put it, and it was kind of the most interesting take on it that I've ever heard, is Pazwa's pointed out, is like, what they're selling, they're selling the idea of a wild animal. The, like, the animal that you've got in the fence only has value because it is, it still is, brings to mind or is associative of wild animals people don't pay to come shoot steers right so when you sell the opportunity to come shoot a deer you're saying like i'm taking a thing of that, that has value because of the real version that we've made a moral financial commitment to have wildlife and it's created value for this animal i'm taking that thing of value putting it in an artificial sense and capitalizing on the value that wildness has created to sell to you. And that's, that's where he finds the offensiveness, 
is like the, 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 the sort of false marketing that's going on there. Right. But it's kind of a victimless crime. I mean, it's like you're only just, it's, it's just mental masturbation. If a guy wants to do it, it's not hurting anybody. Until yeah. you begin to look at, and this is the point that he, again, if you were to put this at Jim Poswitz, it's a victimless crime until you get to look at issues of disease, disease, trans- right. then, disease yeah, transmission, right, 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 yeah. which is becoming a major issue with captive deer. Point taken. So here yeah. you're in a situation where you're taking the essence of wildness, selling that to someone in a situation that is threatening the existence of, of the, the outside wildness yeah. that we're all acknowledging we value anyways by creating a fake version inside for sale. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Tricky shit. <laughs> Essence of wildness. Should be a, a meat eater branded cologne. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're out, we're out of time. One more question. Steve. Oh. <laughs> I was curious, the last podcast came out, and I didn't have a chance to issue a question, but when you're on an unlimited sheep hunt, Uh you've got to check into uh, the quota, right? And I've answered the question for myself, but you didn't answer it on the podcast. How do you uh, see if the quota has been filled? Were those two two sheep shot, Uh, and you got to have a radio, is that right? And then they put that out at... Noon, how's that work? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. So uh, he's referring to, there are, and there's not just the unlimited sheep units, there are a lot of hunts where they'll have a unit, there's black bear units like this, and all kinds of areas, where they have like a, a minimum, um, they have a maximum mortality threshold that they're going to achieve in a population. And so sometimes it's limited to females like like you might have a mountain lion unit where they they have a maximum female mortality threshold of, of three so the season's going to stay open until they hit that cap and in those situations where you're hunting in one of those units you need to stay apprised of whether the season's still open and they'll usually make it that they're going to be like that it closes on 48 hour notice so someone kills the third female let's say They'll put out a notice, and you have 48 hours. But let's say you're on a 10-day hunting trip. Um, how do you know? And you either, you got to make a phone call. So you either walk out and, you know, go to a pay phone, like in the old days, or now a lot of people carry satellite phones. Or you, ti- or you time your thing out where you know that, like, you can check it at the trailhead, and it's still open, so you know that you have at least 48 hours and then you need to recheck again. But yeah, but it's your resp- in, in those like quota system things, it's your responsibility to be constantly checking in to make sure the, the, the quota threshold hasn't been met. Uh, I know Pete Munich. Pete Munich, yell out. Is it Sat Phone? Pete Munich didn't come. He left. Yeah, Sat Phone, yeah. He left. Is Kurt here? It, it is the hunter's responsibility. Is it Sat, yeah, Sat Phone? I thought they had a radio station that would... Uh, you know, you pull out your little radio. And, oh, Kurt? And they play it at, say, noon or whatever time it is. <clears throat> That's what I read. I was just curious. Yeah, no, I'd like to hear from Kurt, but he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, get concluding thoughts? Oh, Man, wow, that was kind of a conversation stopper. It was, it was rough. I guess no. I, I like came in hard. Enjoy, I enjoyed chatting with you all in front of a bunch of people with a bright light in my face. <laughs> <laughs>
No, like, big meaning of it all things. No, I don't have, like, some big, like, umbrella statement that I could make. Sorry. You didn't tell me I had to be prepared to do that. Yeah, well, you know what I was going to ask you, but we ran out of time, is a dude named Joe March had this. What makes a good human being? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm tempted to, like, uh, you know, hold court about, like, Kant's categorical imperative or... Nietzsche's, Nietzsche's idea of a Ubermunch or something like that, but I think I'm just going to offer not what is a sufficient condition for being a good human being, but I'll offer what is a necessary condition, and I'd say that that's supporting public lands. That was good. So, Callahan, we're going to run with what's a good, what makes a good human being as the concluders. What makes a good human being? Patience. Really? What if, what if you're patiently waiting to kill a small child? <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps in that situation, while you are waiting there for your opportune moment, you have an epiphany and move on. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, can I go with trust and commitment? Yeah, you got to flesh it out a little bit. I mean, they can't just like. Because I just feel like it's a little not soft. It's a little bit like I'm like. Yeah, the the white supremacists have that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Matt just made two good concluding thoughts. Well, I, I just feel like that, if you, if you have those two things, man, you can kind of tackle anything and continue on and, and do well and think all things that you try and relationships and jobs and the universe. And I agree, but you're what? taking for granted an enormous amount that they're trusting and committing to a thing that is, that is of good. That's true. Because um, I, I had the luxury to like, think about this because I'm the guy with the computer with the questions on mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, <laughs> when I was that's thinking about a, That's an unfair advantage. Yeah, well, yeah. You, know? you could when, just sound way more like prepared. Well, yeah, I don't want you to think, don't, don't, don't think I spent too much time on this. We were just shuffling. We were just kind of still doing this. My wife can vouch for so me. I was messing just with so this Just so the audience earlier. is aware, I, I don't have any, you know, I'm flying off the cough here. <laughs> I did think about this one because I, I questioned whether it was like, uh, you know, within our bailiwick, right? Like, I question whether it was... This was, question, this... Yeah. Yeah, like, does it fit the theme? What the show is about? Right. And no. <laughs> but I, there's something really seductive about it. It's just like six clean words, man. And uh, like, what makes a good human being? And when I had the luxury of thinking about this, you guys didn't have... I'd be like, the thing I kept thinking is like, what level of fine-tuning are we in? While I'm just talking about this, please think about the, the commitment stuff because I do want to hear more but like to be like what level of fine tuning when we make a show we start out where we're talking about like big huge problems things and then later like you know that like second can we change that second so that second you know where you're like you're so like so a good human being I'm like are we what where is he now to begin sort of shaping him and advising him and the reason I was thinking about that is like up until a couple days ago, I wouldn't think that I had to be like, oh, don't be a white supremacist. Right. There's a starter, right? <laughs> like, you're can, saying the guy yeah. asking the question, yeah, you know where you'd, you'd be like, yeah, yeah. 
But now I'm like, oh, so we're starting out like we're starting out like really broad, basic shit, and we're not able to hone in on like the fine-tuned details that Yannis you don't know if he's with. at the Ten Commandments yeah. level or if he's kind of yeah, further like down the road in, in his journey. We're honing in on where Giannis is. Where Giannis is taking like this like great guy, right? And he's being like, yes, you trust and commitment. Like you've got it. Like you're heading in the right direction. You know. Um, so yeah, if I think about what makes a good human being, I'll tell you like a thing I like in people is I like in people when someone is holds this contradiction where they're really um, steadfast, okay, but also really open to all the ideas floating around. But all the ideas floating around don't make him be like this, right? right. The ideas floating around make him just be like this. Right. Can you see that my hands even moving side to side? <laughs> like, you know, then I, in, 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 that is, like, that's a thing I like. That's a thing I like. That I think about and strive toward and, like, and, and just try to keep in mind as a guiding thing mm -hmm. of, like, just being aware of all these things and, and, and enjoying the movement rather than, you know, our father hated movement. Right. Like he hated if you thought like if you thought something that these he didn't like right. it that you would deviate. No, I, I like your yeah, I like your what you're saying. Like uh, all your beliefs are at least somewhat contingent, but you believe in them real hard, <laughs> somewhat, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Anybody have a, any else have a concluding thought? Well, yeah, I, I can't. Still, I can't add. To, I can't add to it. You know what I add to? No. No. I feel like that was sufficient. Concluding thought. So what would you say to someone, specifically a woman, that was a hunter before and still is, but has a hard time hunting after giving birth? Because of the beauty of life? Yes. I wouldn't urge you to go hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I really wouldn't. I think that something, I think that some like things that happen in, to people are like pretty, like, like I don't. It's are probably like a legitimate question, feelings. Though, right? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I don't think anybody that should doesn't want to go hunting should go no, hunting. No, it's not that I don't want to. I think, and I tell my husband this, it's like once you've given life, it's harder to take a life. Which sounds ridiculous, but... No, I think I've heard this from yeah. other women before. Yeah. Yeah. You just watch the whole process play out and it gives it like a level of sanctity. And it's not anti-hunting because we live off the meat and we process it ourselves. And so it's not anti-hunting at all, but it's almost harder for me to be able to go hunting now after giving birth to a human being. Yeah. No objections. <laughs> Continue to support public lands. Be patient. Um, be in tune to the idea that you might shift on that, but then remain steadfast and uh, focused. All right, thanks for joining us. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved 
via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized job site or out in the field go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping go to deck.com slash meat eater get yourself some free shipping